A Commentary on the Book of Galatians, Chapter 3, Martin Luther, Verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! The Apostle manifests his apostolic care for the Galatians. Sometimes he entreats them. Then again he reproaches them in accordance with his own advice to Timothy, priest a word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. In the midst of his discourse on Christian righteousness, Paul breaks off and turns to address the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, he cries, I have brought you the true gospel, and you received it with eagerness and gratitude. Now, all of a sudden you drop the gospel? What has gotten into you? Paul reproves the Galatians rather sharply when he calls them fools, bewitched, and disobedient. Whether he is indignant or sorry, I cannot say. He may be both. It is the duty of a Christian pastor to reprove the people committed to his charge. Of course, his anger must not flow from malice, but from affection and a real zeal for Christ. There is no question that Paul is disappointed. It hurts him to think that his Galatians show so little stability. We can hear him say, I am sorry to hear of your troubles, and disappointed in you for the disgraceful part you played. I say rather much on this point to save Paul from the charge that he railed upon the churches contrary to the spirit of the gospel. A certain distance and coolness can be noted in the title with which the apostle addresses the Galatians. He does not now address them as his brethren, as he usually does. He addresses them as Galatians in order to remind them of their national trait, to be foolish. We have here an example of bad traits that often cling to individual Christians and entire congregations. Grace does not suddenly transform a Christian into a new and perfect creature. Dregs of the old and natural corruption remain. The Spirit of God cannot at once overcome human deficiency. Sanctification takes time. Although the Galatians had been enlightened by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of faith, something of their national trait of foolishness, plus their original depravity, clung to them. Let no man think that once he has received faith, he can presently be converted into a faultless creature. The leavings of old vices will stick to him, be he ever so good a Christian. Verse 1. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Paul calls the Galatians foolish and bewitched. In the fifth chapter, he mentions sorcery among the works of the flesh, declaring that witchcraft and sorcery are real manifestations and legitimate activities of the devil. We are all exposed to the influence of the devil because he is the prince and god of the world in which we live. Satan is clever. He does not only bewitch men in a crude manner, but also in a more artful fashion. He bedevils the minds of men with hideous fallacies. Not only is he able to deceive the self-assured, but even those who profess a true Christian faith. There is not one among us who is not at times seduced by Satan into false beliefs. This accounts for the many new battles we have to wage nowadays. But the attacks of the old serpent are not without profit to us, for they confirm our doctrine and strengthen our faith in Christ. Many a time we were wrestled down in these conflicts with Satan, but Christ has always triumphed, and will always triumph. 
Do not think that the Galatians were the only ones to be bewitched by the devil. Let us realize that we too may be seduced by Satan. First one, who has bewitched you? In this sentence, Paul excuses the Galatians while he blames the false apostles for the apostasy of the Galatians. As if he were saying, I know your defection was not willful. The devil sent the false apostles to you and they tallied you into believing that you were justified by the law. With this, our epistle, we endeavor to undo the damage which the false apostles have inflicted upon you. Like Paul, we struggle with the word of God against the fanatical Anabaptists of our day, and our efforts are not entirely in vain. The trouble is, there are many who refuse to be instructed. They will not listen to reason. They will not listen to the scriptures because they are bewitched by the tricky devil who can make a lie look like the truth. Since the devil has this uncanny ability to make us believe a lie until we would swear a thousand times it were the truth, we must not be proud, but walk in fear and humility and call upon the Lord Jesus to save us from temptation. Although I am a doctor of divinity and a preached Christ and fathers battles for a long time, I know from personal experience how difficult it is to hold fast to the truth. I cannot always shake off Satan. I cannot always apprehend Christ as the scriptures portray him. Sometimes the devil distorts Christ to my vision. But thanks be to God who keeps us in his word in faith and in prayer. The spiritual witchery of the devil creates in the heart a wrong idea of Christ. Those who share the opinion that a person is justified by the works of the law are simply bewitched. Their belief goes against faith and Christ. Verse 1, that you should not obey the truth. Paul incriminates the Galatians in worse failure. You are so bewitched that you no longer obey the truth. Fear many of you have strayed so far that you will never return to the truth. The apostasy of the Galatians is a fine endorsement of the law. All right. You may preach the law ever so fervently. If the preaching of the gospel does not accompany it, the law will never produce true conversion and heartfelt repentance. We do not mean to say that the preaching of the law is without value, but it only serves to bring home to us the wrath of God. The law bows a person down. It takes the gospel and the preaching of faith in Christ to raise and save a person. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, verse 1, Paul's increasing severity becomes apparent as he reminds the Galatians that they disobeyed the truth in defiance of the vivid description he had given them of Christ. So vividly had he described Christ to them that they could almost see and handle him. As if Paul were to say, no artist with all of its colors could have pictured Christ to you as vividly as I have pictured him to you by my preaching. Yet... You permitted yourselves to be seduced to the extent that you disobeyed the truth of Christ. Crucified among you. You have not only rejected the grace of God, you have shamefully crucified Christ among you. Paul employs the same phraseology in Hebrews 6 verse 6, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It should make any person afraid to hear Paul say that those who seek to be justified by the law not only deny Christ, but also crucify him anew. If those who seek to be justified by the law and its works are crucifiers of Christ, 
What are they, I like to know, who seek salvation by the filthy rags of their own work, righteousness? Can there be anything more horrible than the papacy, an alliance of people who crucify Christ and themselves and the church and in the hearts of the believers? If all the diseased and vicious doctrines of the papacy, the worst is this. If you want to serve God, you must earn your own remission of sins and everlasting life, and in addition help others to obtain salvation by giving them the benefit of your extra work, holiness, monks, friars, and all the rest of them brag that besides the ordinary requirements common to all Christians, they do the works of supererogation. In other words, a performance of more than is required. This is certainly a fiendish illusion. No wonder Paul employs such sharp language in his effort to recall the Galatians from the doctrine of the false apostles. He says to them, Don't you realize what you have done? You have crucified Christ anew because you seek salvation by the law. True, Christ can no longer be crucified in person, but he is crucified in us when we reject grace, faith, free remission of sins, and endeavor to be justified by our own works or by the works of the law. The apostle is incensed at the presumptuousness of any person who thinks he can perform the law of God to his own salvation. He charges that person with the atrocity of crucifying anew the Son of God. Verse 2. This only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. There's a touch of irony in these words of the Apostle. Come on now, my smart Galatians. You will all of a sudden have become doctors while I seem to be your pupil. Received you the Holy Ghost by the works of the law, or by the preaching of the gospel. This question gave them something to think about because their own experience contradicted them. You cannot say that you received the Holy Spirit by the law. As long as you were servants of the law, you never received the Holy Ghost. Nobody ever heard of the Holy Ghost being given to anybody, be he doctor or dunce, as a result of the preaching of the law. In your own case, you have not only learned the law by heart, you have labored with all your might to perform it. You most of all should have received the Holy Ghost by the law, if that were possible. You cannot show me that this ever happened. But as soon as the gospel came your way, you received the Holy Ghost by the simple hearing of faith before you ever had a chance to do a single good deed. Luke verifies this statement of Paul in the book of Acts. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Acts 10 verse 44. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us. At the beginning, Acts 11, verse 15. Try to appreciate the force of Paul's arguments, which is so often repeated in the book of Acts. That book was written for the express purpose of verifying Paul's assertion that the Holy Ghost comes upon men not in response to the preaching of the law, but in response to the preaching of the gospel. When Peter preached Christ at the first Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell upon the hearers, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Cornelius received the Holy Ghost while Peter was speaking of Christ. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. These are actual experiences that cannot very well be denied. 
When Paul and Barnabas returned to Jerusalem and reported what they had been able to accomplish among the Gentiles, the whole church was astonished, particularly when it heard that the uncircumcised Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost by the preaching of faith in Christ. Now as God gave the Holy Ghost to the Gentiles without the law by the simple preaching of the gospel, so he gave the Holy Ghost also to the Jews without the law through faith alone. If the righteousness of the law were necessary to salvation, the Holy Ghost would never have come to the Gentiles because they did not bother about the law. Hence the law does not justify, but faith in Christ justifies. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul now begins to warn the Galatians against a twofold danger. The first danger is, are you so foolish, that after you have begun in the Spirit, you would now end in the flesh. Flesh stands for the righteousness of reason, which seeks justification by the accomplishment of the law. I am told that I began in the Spirit under the papacy, but am ending up in the flesh because I got married as though single life were a spiritual life and married life a carnal life. They're silly. All the duties of a Christian husband, to love his wife, to bring up his children, to govern his family, and so on, are the very fruits of the Spirit. The righteousness of the law, which Paul also terms the righteousness of the flesh, is so far from justifying a person that those who once had the Holy Spirit and lost him end up in the law to their complete destruction. Verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain? The other danger against which the apostle warns the Galatians is this. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Paul wants to say, consider. Not only the good start you had and lost, but consider also the many things you have suffered for the sake of the gospel and for the name of Christ. You have suffered a loss of your possessions. You have borne reproaches. You have passed through many dangers of body and life. You endured much for the name of Christ, and you endured it faithfully. But now you have lost everything, the gospel, faith, and the spiritual benefit of your sufferings for Christ's sake. What a miserable thing to endure so many afflictions for nothing. Verse 4. If it be yet in vain. The apostle adds the afterthought. If it be yet in vain. I do not despair of all hope for you. But if you continue to look to the law for righteousness, I think you should be told that all your past true worship of God and all the afflictions that you have endured for Christ's sake are going to help you. Not at all. I do not mean to discourage you altogether. I do hope you will repent and amend. Verse 5. He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he it by the works of the law? by the hearing of faith. This argument based on the experience of the Galatians pleased the apostle so well that he returns to it after he had warned them against their twofold danger. You have not only received the Spirit by the preaching of the gospel, but by the same gospel you were enabled to do things. What things, we ask? Miracles. At least the Galatians had manifested the striking fruits of faith which true disciples of the gospel manifested in those days. On one occasion, the apostle wrote, The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The power revealed itself not only in readiness of speech, but in demonstrations of the supernatural ability of the Holy Spirit. 
When the gospel is preached on two faith, hope, love, and patience, God gives us wonder work and spirit. Paul reminds the Galatians of this, God had only brought you to faith by my preaching. He had also sanctified you to bring forth the fruits of faith. And one of the fruits of your faith was that you loved me so devotedly that you were willing to pluck out your eyes for me. To love a fellow man so devotedly is to be ready to bestow upon him money, goods, eyes in order to secure his salvation. Such love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. These products of the Spirit you enjoyed before the false apostles misled you. The apostle reminds the Galatians, But you haven't manifested any of these fruits under the regime of the law. How does it come that you do not grow the same fruits now? You no longer teach truly. You do not believe boldly. You do not live well. You do not work hard. You do not bear things patiently. Who has spoiled you that you no longer love me, that you are not now ready to pluck out your eyes for me? What has happened to cool your personal interest in me? The same thing happened to me. When I began to proclaim the gospel, there were many, very many who were delighted with our doctrine and had a good opinion of us. And now, now they have succeeded in making us so odious to those who formerly loved us that they now hate us like poison. Paul argues, Your experience ought to teach you that the fruits of love do not grow on the stump of the law. You had not virtue prior to the preaching of the gospel, and you have no virtues now under the regime of the false apostles. We too may say to those who misname themselves evangelical and fill out their newfound liberty, have you put down the tyranny of the Pope? and obtained liberty in Christ to the Anabaptists and other fanatics? Or have you obtained your freedom from us who preach faith in Jesus Christ? If there is any honesty left in them, they will have to confess that their freedom dates from the preaching of the gospel. 